let's talk about revival and spiritual warfare. Because when we look around the world right now, we need to have good expectations for how God is working with us and where we're at. We really are in a moment where we're reaping a lot of things which have been sown which are ungodly. But don't let that discourage you because revival is something which we can look for and be sowing the seeds of. But we have to realize revival is not coming from inside the institutions of the world. A lot of things are broken, they're just filled with chaos and ungodly wickedness, and they're not repairing themselves from inside themselves, it's just not happening. But don't let that discourage you because this is okay. Revival was never meant to come from within inside worldly institutions, whether they be government stuff, whether it be secular, whatever you have. It's not meant to come from within, it comes from God. And when we look there at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, those tongues of fire, they rested on all. All the believers who were there, they were able to speak out and walk in the truth. And in this Bible study, we're going to be talking about our expectations for revival and spiritual warfare and some observations that I've made along with the others here with me at Kingdom of the Logos. So on that, thank you for joining us. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. This is Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure. And there are two others with me here in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. Pastor Amanda, would you pray for us as we begin? Sure. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise and thanks for all that you have done in our lives, how you have called us and and empowered us and encouraged us to be your people. So we pray now as uh, we have this conversation that it would be uplifting and encouraging to those who hear it and participate in it, and that in all things we would give you the glory. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So today we're going to be looking at two passages from the early church. And one will be from the third epistle of John and the other from the second of Peter. But what I want us to be understanding is we have to realize that in the world around us, it's not a given that things will remain luxurious or as they are. Just know that in your heart. You're not a tinfoil hat kook. You're instead someone who's just honest about fallen creation. And we have to get ready for paganism. Our culture is going to further devolve into paganism, tribalism, and all the stuff of old. The story of the fall and the story of human history is not told in the form of people in majority living in peace and prosperity and having that pursuit of happiness with them. Instead, it's storied by small minority bands of people who control things in tyranny. We right now are in a time of reaping. We're reaping a culture where God has not been invited to the public sphere, and we're seeing the consequences of that. You know, there in Ephesians, it talks about don't make room for the devil. Well, we for a long time, our public sphere has not made room for God, and now we're reaping the consequences of that. But all is not lost. Just as Jesus there in the book of Revelation chapter 3, he addressed the lifeless existence of the church in Sardis, and he commanded them to wake up and revive what was left. We need to get busy sowing. And I want us to look at our opportunity we have right now. We are here on this earth for a time such as this as an opportunity to sow seeds of the gospel that people may walk in the truth and the life. Because right now we're reaping a world that is ruled by platitudes, those hollow slogans, those feel-good stickers plastered all over everything, the narratives and everything which is around us except for truth. We have a society that has valued people in every other way than being children of God. And what we have to do is start sowing the truth of the gospel. We have to start teaching people truth is bigger than your preference or opinion. We're all sons of Adam or daughters of Eve who need to be restored through Christ. And if we want a nation that enjoys the fruits of Christian living, then we have to have Christ at the center of that cause. No secular bureaucracy, no governmental official or any such institution. We have to find it through Christ alone. 
So we have two passages we're gonna look at. And on the front end of this, I wanna share two observations I've had, and I'll let Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike respond to this. One, I actually do see revival happening right now. But it's not the revivals that I've been told about, because I'm a young man. I've never seen big tent revivals where people come up to altars or something like that. But I am seeing a revival where people in their own hearts and minds, they're seeing truth clearer. They are seeing the paper mache facade collapse. They are seeing the veil being torn back and the truth shine through. A lot of people are understanding scripture at a clearer and deeper level. I myself am understanding scripture at a clearer and deeper level. And I see that revival sincerely happening. It hasn't translated into a lot of new people coming into the church like I would hope for. But at the same time, I am seeing that revival within people where they're able to walk in the truth um, to a degree that's much better than where they were at before. And on the other hand, when it comes to spiritual warfare, I'm also seeing this being more blatant and prevalent. And I've had, of course, people come up and tell me, you can just feel the spiritual warfare in our world. But I'm also seeing a lot of just outrageous evil stuff, mocking God, you know, prayers opening up in Congress to the monotheistic God Brahma known by all religions, by all names of all people, you know, something like that, which is just directly, you know, you can call it Unitarianism or whatever you want to call it, or Universalism, whatever you want to call that. But in truth, you're not going to reap the goodness of God if you're mocking God in the public sphere like that. You're just not. But despite all of that, I do see revival happening. And I just wanted to let y'all have some thoughts on some things you're seeing, and then we'll jump into our Bible study with our two scriptures. Um, I don't know who would like to jump in there first. I will. Alrighty. Um, I think something as we're talking about expectations of, of revival and expectations of spiritual warfare, I think there, there was a, a, the sentence that you said earlier in the introduction of if we want to be a nation that enjoys the fruits of Christian living, we have to have Christ as the cause. And I think something that's important for us as we talk about expectations is what are those fruits? And I think often people anticipate the fruits to be of Christian living to be peace but in the sense of calmness they expect it to be blessing but in the sense of prosperity and so a lot of times and i've seen recently it circulates on facebook every now and then people will post the passage from chronicles if my people who are called by my name will humble them right that's chronicles will humble themselves and, and pray then i will hear from them and heal their land and that is a great passage and it is calling us to important things but people often use that in the sense of well, the reason I don't have what I want or I don't have the material things I want is because I'm just not praying hard enough or, or other people aren't praying hard enough. And they often associate God's blessing with material blessings. And although God can definitely use material blessings. And, and the th- honest thing is, if, if, if the, the soil in which the church has grown more has been persecution, if the fact that we are seeing spiritual warfare escalate, but also with it revival, then we have to come to the point of ourselves when we say that a reasonable expectation of of revival, of blessing, of hope and life and peace is not calmness. Yeah. And that God's blessing is not dependent on me having what I want. Yeah. And so... We got to start out, I think, also with very directly and abruptly saying our expectations of revival is not to look like the way things may have looked like 50, 20, 10 last year. Yeah. And so it is 
something where we're not belittling the things of the past. I grew up going to camp meeting. I love camp meeting. I love old time revivals and how that's been organized. But those were organized for a specific, they were a specific methodology for a specific season amongst a specific set of people. And again, not that we can't use those tools again, and, and but we've got to understand why and how and to what end they were used. Yeah. And they were not used so that we could say, look, we finally arrived. We're the biggest and the baddest on the, on the field. It was to say, there's a dangerous and entertaining God out there. Let's encounter him. You know, that word dangerous and entertaining God. <laughs> You know, we're always, I don't know, when people are, are children, when I was a kid, I remember being, like, scared if you opened your eyes during the prayer, you might see, like, <laughs> the weird spook of the Holy Spirit running around, and it might just smite you. But it, Scripture actually does tell you there in Isaiah 6, you know, the seraphs who attend God, these high-attending angelic hosts, you know, if they peep through the, the wing that covers their eyes, they will get smoked. Like, it's, it's a dangerous thing. But also the dangerous and entertaining God, is not just something which is about sensationalism or the licentious appetite that Jude writes about and so do other <laughs> writers of the New Testament, um, the perversion that comes in. But they are talking about the fact that God, he does live in a different reality than we do. And he has a broader and truer perspective. And the scripture that we're going to look at today from Second uh, Peter is going to address some of those things. I'm really glad you went in the direction you did, but that's enough for me. Pastor Mike, what are your thoughts on all of this? Well, you know, I think I've seen a revival take place in where exactly what you're saying, people are seeing not only truth, but they're also seeing the spiritual warfare and seeing uh, great evils take place that are blatantly out there. And and for me, you know, as pastor, uh, somebody is they're, they're they're willing to call that out and ask me, Pastor, this is this is what you said. This is what I see. This is this is evil. This is bad. And and you know, there it's like Amanda said. There's not peace in that. It's not calm. And I think there is a real sense of revival that's calling our people to action that is saying, you know, this is not going to look like it did in the past, but I am called for right now. What have I got to do? What can we do? Because this is terrible that we see going on. God help me. And it is this turning to God that, you know, we're not sure exactly what to do or how to go about it, but God will lead us. And, and uh, you know, I, I see it. Uh, starting to take place, and maybe it doesn't look like um, the white handkerchiefs that were, you know, waved in the air, um, you know, back in the, in the 20th century. But it is definitely uh, a a time where God is at work, and there is a sense that the believers are 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 starting to see the truth in a powerful way. Yeah, and I'm not opposed to that. I would love to see some white handkerchiefs oh, in yeah, the air, but. Yeah. I'm also not going to denounce the truth around me if it looks different from that. If, if revival is yeah. coming another way, I'm fully open to that, too, because you never know what God has in store for us. And well, we'll go ahead, Mike. You know, I think, you know, there's this there's this sense where we've kind of went through a place where there's been the critics that want to say, well, I, I wish we could go back to, you know, those things that were, you know, revival and taking place and you know, shouts and singing break out. But I think I'm seeing something now that is much, uh, I won't say deeper, but it, but it, there's a sense of called to action mm. that yeah. that this is going to take more than just excitement and waving handkerchiefs, but God's going to call us um, in, in, to use knowledge and wisdom. And uh, it's, it's a powerful 
uh, revival, I believe, beginning in its works right now. And it is, Dylan. It's not coming from any type of government uh, system or institution. It's it's God's Spirit coming upon His believers. And before we get into our, our scripture here, I'm going to throw this out there too. Within the church, mm. it's going to come from the grassroots up. It's not coming from the top down. And when I say top down, I'm not meaning not from Jesus down. <laughs> what I'm meaning is it's not yeah. coming from the intelligentsia within the church, the academia within the church. It's going to be coming from when you as a believer, mm-hmm. and, and you know, to put that in the more historical context, it's not gonna come from the special preacher that you had come in on your circuit or the really good music group that comes in and they, they have a really great music set and it brings everybody forwards. It's not coming from some other party mm to bring that to your local church. It's going to begin in your heart and your mind when you hand things over to God and you have that deeper relationship yourself. It's beginning just like on the day of Pentecost when the tongues of fire comes and rests on everyone, regardless of what station they're in. If they are in a university, great. Um, but if they're also just someone who sits on you know, the middle pew on the middle of Sunday, they have equal access to that Holy Spirit as well. So it's, it's the truth that we must reckon with. Revival, it begins there. Yes. Pastor Mena? Well, I think I'm going to just add, I think something has happened weirdly with how we see the the structure and the ecclesiology within the church, and, and this is not by any means a new problem, but we have to understand the ideas of our institutions, our religious institutions, uh, they were not meant to be top-down. They were meant to be supports to the local church. Right. The reason that there was a bishop or a DS yeah. or a GS or a pope or whatever you give those leadership titles, the reason there's a university or a school wasn't meant to override the life of the church. It was meant to support the life of the church. Sure. And and I think at some point we have got to understand that. And there does seem, I know we had to write a paper on it, funnily enough, in college about the academy versus the church. Yeah. And I, I just, and I'm not speaking to any one particular person or institution, but oh my goodness, when can we start seeing we're supposed, we have the same mission, yeah. the same yeah. goal, the same purpose. Yeah. It's not the academy versus the church. It's not the DS versus the local church. It's not the GS versus fill in blank here, although sometimes it can feel like that. And I don't want to dismin- diminish those frustrations either. But we've got to learn how to support one another. But to your point, yes, it is when the faithful choose to be faithful and grow in their faith that revival happens. Yeah. And so I just got... Well, yeah. And that does seem very humanistic because we're we're talking a lot about what we do, but that's because we're talking about our response. It all starts with God's grace. Sure. And just to kind of couple that together... I just come off of preaching Mark chapter 2 this week, and one of the things which we looked at in there is the friends who bring the paralyzed man to Jesus, when their faithfulness meets the perfect faithfulness of Christ, that's where you find that goodness. And let's jump into our scripture, shall we? Let's begin with the third epistle of John, and there's just one chapter here, but chapter 1 for tidy organizational purposes, Third John 1, verses 2 through 8. Pastor Amanda, would you read that for us? Sure. Hear the word of the Lord. Beloved. I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health just as it is well with your soul. I was overjoyed when some of the friends arrived and testified to your faithfulness to the truth, namely how you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than this to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, 
You do faithfully whatever you do for the friends, even though they are strangers to you. They have testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on in a manner worthy of God, for they began their journey for the sake of Christ, accepting no support from non-believers. Therefore, we ought to support such people so that we may become co-workers with the truth. All right, there's a lot in this text, and it feels like it's written just for a time such as this. (laughs) So in this, John opens up, and he's writing. Again, John is a bit of a missionary himself. He does a lot of stuff. John is one of the, the 12 apostles, and he's writing to them, and he says, I'm praying for your good health, that it can be well in your soul. And I was overjoyed to see that some of you are being faithful and walking in the truth. And in our society right now, this is, this is a message for times such as now. We, we pray for your health, but also it's wonderful. There's no greater joy than to see that some of you are actually in the truth. John is talking about people who are in a time of competing worldviews. Right now, we are in a society that is really having a war of reality. What is truth? What is reality? And it's being ripped apart at the seams by this. And John writes to his people, he says, I have no greater joy than to find out that some of you over there actually see truth. You don't have the wool pulled over your eyes. You don't have your eyes concealed and covered up. But you're actually walking in the truth. And then he goes on to say, he makes some distinctions in there. He says, you're testifying to you know, your love of Christ. They have seen all of this. The world is, is at odds with you. And there are people coming to know the church, but there are those who are not accepting support from non-believers. In other words, they've drawn some distinctions. They've, they've drawn the line and said, you know, we're going to evangelize to non-believers to bring them in, but we're also not going to get in bed with them in the sense of having some strings attached. We're not going to take support from them. Mm. But that also means that if the church is going to operate this way, you have to take care of one another. You're all co-workers in the truth. You have unity, not for unity's sake, not for some fake platitude of togetherness. But the scripture says there in verse 8, you are together supporting one another because you are all co-workers in the truth. It shows you that common good that people are assembled around. And that's sort of my initial thoughts on this, and I'll let you all pick up on here. Pastor Mike, why don't you share some thoughts on this? Well, you know, I think we live in a, you said earlier, it's written as if it's written for us today. Uh, obviously, the competing moral views that John and and the uh, first century believers there were experiencing, we are seeing not only com, uh, different world views, but just a tremendous amount of contradictory information and trying to figure out what is truth, what mm-hmm. is a lie, and what is, you know, they both cannot be true. And then there seems to be this, this level of hypocrisy that's going on somewhere uh, when one says this, then they turn around and do the other. And so for for us to, to hear that, that uh, John is encouraging those that have received the truth, who are remaining truthful, that you've got to be there to support one another. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier, you know, I had someone who said, you know, I've seen evil here. This is, you know, this relates to a sermon that you, illustration that you say, had. And um, it's, you know, they want that confirmation to say, is, is that it? We're meant to live life as a as a group of uh, accountability and encouragement to one another, but to bear witness and affirm one another. Yes, this is the truth. This is what uh, God is calling us to. And yes, each person has that personal responsibility, but it can be anyone from the institutions involved, but it still takes that 
that Spirit of God to fall upon believers and for us to come together to function, to, to point one another to that truth um, and to affirm that when we're going there. It's not always an easy thing to do either. Um, some of the mm. things that we see are very, very, uh, very harsh to, to tell someone, hey, that is the truth. You've got to stop doing this. It's damaging you. And, uh, but yeah, that, this is, as, as uh, Esther would say, uh, just as a time for this, you know. Mm. Pastor Amanda, what are your thoughts on all this? I think there's a couple of things I find interesting about this passage and, and in our conversation today. Um, one being as uh, that there's a lot of action that's called for in, in this epistle and John's writing. Um, I, I like that John also calls his congregants um, or the specific person he's writing to a beloved. And you know that in John's writings, there's a lot of language of love. Uh, but in this, although love may not be explicitly called out there's this idea of work and walking and we are co-workers and i think the other interesting thing in coupling with that all these action words is this preposition that um i, I haven't done research in the original greek but as it's translated in our english that we are co-workers with the truth and i think that's something that is important for us especially as church leaders as we are planning as we are dreaming as we are envisioning for our congregants and congregations is that we are to be working with the truth we are to be working with god not inviting god into our plans or into our ideas or wants or wills um or visions but that god is already working the truth is already working and then we are to ask, how then do we join in with that truth, with that work of God? And what is our part to play as participants in that work? And so, and also the, the language of co-worker, that there is equity to be had, that as we work with Christ, we are co-heirs. And so there, there's just a lot of beautiful language that John is using us to invite us into work, to hard work, to long work, but um, faithful work. And that is, and as we're talking specifically about truth, and especially in a world that as much as we are obsessed with fact, fact check, checkers, wow, cannot talk today. Um, and as much as we are interested in, in, in the truth, how, how easily swayed and marred the truth can be, uh, Christ is inviting us into work with the truth that we can have some surety and no we can't have surety as far as maybe what people are saying or or what our government is doing uh but we can have insure we can have surety in the faithfulness of our god and in the faithfulness of the work we are called to sure you know uh, just to elaborate a little bit on what pastor Amanda was saying in the greek you know this is uh the truth is in that dative sense where it can be either instrumental or lo location uh, I truly believe that this is also can be either way here. It is that to walk and live in that truth, but it's also calling us to be uh, that truth. It's in, instrumental in our walk and in this truth. And so there, there's all this call right back to action, as she was saying. Uh, it, it's uh, you know John is is uh, you know he's not the uh, the most poetic writer in the world but at the same time he's doing something very beautiful here that is calling uh, the beloved children um, to to come and and work together that call to action uh, to receive the holy spirit 
and and let that be instrumental in 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 you know your whole morality, your ethics, everything. So tying this back to our premise of spiritual warfare and revival. Mm-hmm. In John's time, people are experiencing the revival of truth. They're seeing clearly. The world was pretty muddled back in ancient Rome. <laughs> Especially, we can only assume that since John is writing this, and it's probably somewhere not near Jerusalem, but this is probably being written somewhere in, towards Asia Minor, that whole region. Regardless of the details of that, he's writing it to a world where what the Jewish establishment is considering truth is at odds with what the new found Christian church is trying to assert. And beyond both of those is the massive structure of the Roman world, which is looking to to crush people who disagree with it. If you won't come over here and come into the pagan temple and do the pagan things with your body and put them in your mouth and eat them, then you can be taken to an amphitheater and killed. Like The world is pretty well at odds with this. And it is demanding that people bow down to things which are, are foolish, are ignorant, and are not true. And yet John writes to them and says, you all are having revival of seeing truth. It's not easy, by the way. What they're doing, you were talking earlier today about conflict and things like that. They experienced a lot of conflict. People were being drug out of churches and, and killed pretty regularly. Either Caesar, either Caesar is Lord or Caesar is not. To yeah. say that Jesus is Lord is to really put your life on the line. Yeah. We're finding more and more today to say that Jesus is Lord of your life and to really walk the walk and believe that and to be faithful in, in um, you know, uh, your relationship with God, but also faithful in, in every part of your life, your marriage, your your family life, your church yeah. life, your, your finances. It, it, you know, when you say Jesus is Lord, then all these other competing lords in this world, whether it be, you know, the the kind of the past argument of consumerism or whatever it might be, you know, it, it, it Jesus is Lord and it's not going to be received well by the world sometimes in many yep. places. Well, on that, let's go to our second text, which is from Second Peter mm-hmm. chapter three, verses one through thirteen. And Pastor Mike, you're gonna read that for us, so if you would. Absolutely. 2 Peter chapter 3, 1 through 13, be attentive. This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you. In them, I am trying to arouse your sincere intention by reminding you that you should remember the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken through your apostles. First of all, you must understand this, that in the last days, Scoffers will come, scoffing and indulging their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago, and an earth was formed out of water and by means of water through which the world of that time was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the present heavens and earth have been reserved for fire, being kept into the day of judgment and destruction of the godless. But do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. 
The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a loud voice, and the elements will be dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. Since all these things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set ablaze and dissolved, and the elements will melt with fire. But in accordance with his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. Hmm. All right, there's a lot in this. <laughs> and to really understand the letters of Peter, you have to understand that creation is fallen, and that includes heaven. One of the things that you find in the book of Revelation and also here in these letters of Peter is that the angels and their sin are held for that day of judgment. And when Christ sits on the judgment seat, the heavens and the earth will flee. There will be a total destruction. But then when you actually look particularly at this text, there's a couple of things you find. Peter is trying to open people's minds to realize, one, there's going to be scoffers. There will be people who come to you and say, where's your God now? Hmm. You know, whether they're Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know, bow down and all is well and good. And if you do not bow down to the golden statue that I have made immediately into the fiery furnace, well, the and scoffers was, were there when Jesus was on the cross. Yes, that's right. I mean, it, it, the world's full of scoffers. Yep. He says, don't let the scoffers discourage you because they, they're ignoring facts that are basic and right before them. Don't let the scoffers discourage you. But do remember that there will come a time when the heavens and the earth, they pass away. God is not slow to make good. It doesn't fall short of God's attention when you make good on the talents you have. But just remember that God's timeline is different from yours. He's not slow like some of them might think of slowness. He operates in his own timeline. And when you consider that all the heavens and the earth, they are going to be passed away and there'll be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. When you consider that, how should you live? And Peter answers this. You should live a holy and righteous life. So in this, you do find spiritual warfare in the sense that there is conflict. There's scoffing. Uh, there is the cosmic warfare between, you know, heaven and earth and just the cosmic powers and principalities. There's all this stuff. Mm. But when it comes down to you, you don't have to give an answer for all that. What you do have to give an answer for is how you lived your life. Were you holy and righteous or did you care more about what the scoffers were saying than actually satisfying the charge that God gave you? What, what is more of your concern? And when we look at the revival, when people take Peter's advice and just get past the scoffers, you're always going to have people scoff at you. That's fine. Just move on. When you get past that, how do you actually live your life? If you're willing to live that life of holiness, then that is the revival. So, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on this text? I know there's a whole lot in it, and I'll just let you take off wherever you'd like. Um, yeah, no, this is it's a large passage. It was actually one of our lectionary texts to read in the season of Advent. Um, I think it was on the Sunday of Peace. Um, yeah, it was the Sunday of Peace because I, I then used the, the poem, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's uh, poem, uh, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And we do. This common thread throughout history is as much as there is truth that has existed, there have been those who have doubted truth. I mean, yeah. this is the serpent in, in the garden, right? Did right. God really say that? Um, and we have that theme throughout history, throughout human interaction. 
And what I find is is interesting is instead of it would have been so easy for Peter to try to to break down um, some things that Jesus said to write a book about Jesus is coming, like 20 reasons Jesus is coming in 2020, something like that. Or, you know, for Peter, it would have been the first century. But still, there was something he could have gone that route. And instead, what he says is just simply goes, God is in control. And we can't even take this uh, formula he's given us one day is like a thousand years. And then he switches it and says a thousand years is like a day. So we couldn't even be like, okay, if, you know, somewhere in the Bible it says something about 10 days, we just multiply that by a thousand and we've got our answer. No, it's it's completely outside of our predictability. And what I'm learning a lot in this last year um, is God journeys with us and loves us and empowers us and this is a we should count his patience as our salvation as peter said at the end of this section because this unpredictability of life and really how god sometimes works unpredictable is actually serves for our benefit because if God always acted like how God acted on Mount Sinai, there'd be a lot, or is Sodom and Gomorrah, there would be a lot of burnt up cities. And what we find is if God journeys with us, not that God's character change, changes, God is always love and order and peace. But as God journeys with us and, and reacts to us, and it makes God's self vulnerable to us and to our ability to enact even our own free will, then this serves actually for us to be complete and whole beings. And it, yes, it's not predictable. Yes, it's not comfortable. Um, honestly, I think we, we wish God was more like Zeus. We wish God was more like the pagan gods because then we would know how to appease this God. And instead, this God says that it's not that easy. It's not that I'm not manipulable, but I am relational. And all of a sudden that puts us in an uncomfortable place because then we have to be responsible we have to respond and there is amazing freedom in that and um where matthew will take us would be the the um the burden that is easy and the yoke that is light the contrary language that matthew uses or jesus is using that matthew will then re retell us is that this this is an oxymoron this is um confusing this is almost it seems to to negate itself and yet, as we walk in this truth, we will find more freedom and love and peace, even as the chaos crashes around us. Um, so yeah, no, as we're talking about revival and truth and spiritual warfare, it, it's not going to always look the way we, we think it's going to look like. It's not even going to be predictable. We don't always, we want to add one plus one and get two, but sometimes the world throws us in a loop and we just don't know how to find our way out. But we find this call to living, like you said in that last verse, where righteousness is at home. It's yeah. not just kind of there. It's not righteousness doesn't just visit us on the holidays or the weekends. But righteousness has set itself up at home in our lives every day. Before I hand things over to Pastor Mike, I want to pick up with, with something and kind of weave these two passages together. Okay. As we talk about revival and spiritual warfare, and I think Amanda <laughs> will appreciate this. I think when we look at this second Peter text, it really looks like revival, that is. 
Revival looks kind of like the Lord of the Rings. And in that, you are walking with the truth. And prepositions are very important. In the same way that you have the whole entourage escorting this ring to its place of fruition, where the, the battle between good and evil can be sorted out. You've been given something by charge. And you've got this journey you've got to go on. You've got to persevere. It's going to be a lot of valleys through the shadow of the death. And you're even going to have to walk into Mordor, into effectively hell. Revival looks like those who are willing to to take that responsibility, carry it on their shoulders, and march forth. They're willing to take that next step, even if they feel like they're alone, even if they feel like the master has left, maybe there's no purpose in this. When they're continuing that journey, they're walking with the truth, as John says, or we might find there in Second Peter where righteousness is at home, where you are walking with that. And not that God is the ring that we carry around, but there is a charge, a talent we've been given. And when we take that through, the valley of the shadow of death, through Mordor, whatever it may be, that is what revival really looks like as prescribed by Second Peter. And also what spiritual for- warfare looks like. Mm. When you persevere through all those great trials, those great conflicts we have, all the, the terrible you know, abrasions and struggles that we must endure, that is what the revival looks like. I don't know if Amanda wants to respond to that before I give over well, to, to Pastor Mike. Just real quick, I think I just read recently an interesting commentary on Lord of the Rings and this idea of the battle of good and evil. And I'm not sure I fully have understood it or have come to a conclusion about it. But it was comparing some different philosophies of how we see good versus evil. And it was saying really, like we often reduce it down to some dualism. But J.R.R. Tolkien in his genius is telling us not so much that the mission of good is not always to kill evil but it is simply to live by living a righteous life evil will will crumble onto itself and so what really destroys the ring in the story of the lord of the rings isn't because uh frodo and sam were strong enough or smart enough they were faithful and eventually it is the ring that so tempts Gollum that Gollum then falls off the cliff into the lava and it is the ring that destroys itself and again, I'm not sure where I can take that commentary to its logical end, but I think what, what I'm trying to get out of that is to say, um, for revival to be revival, yes, sometimes that means marching onto the very black gates and calling out injustices. And that's what part of the, the, the company, the Fellowship of the Rings does. But then some of the fellowship, they are simply just walking one foot in front of the other and being faithful. Yeah. And so... Yeah, so it's just, it is that, it is through our faithfulness. It is through us being good. We do not have to pursue evil to kill evil. We pursue what is good, and evil will crumble on itself. Yeah, amen to that. Pastor Mike? Well, when I first read read, read this text, because I've read it before, and it was part of the Advent text, and, you know, it seems like a strange text to be in Advent. But <laughs> once you, you read this, you know, Peter's reaching back, to um, you know the the creation account where the God uh, of all heaven and earth creates and brings order to life, and not only is is 
you know, there this there's this creation and order brought to life, but human beings are created in the image of this God, this God who is righteous, who has brought this order, and so we are placed in this garden to cultivate, um, to to cultivate what righteousness and holiness and and to reflect this God in this world, and so this is a beautiful baptism text when I read this as well because you're going into that that those waters and 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 you know you're everything all the world before you everything that you have known is dying and and you are raised to life baptized with the holy spirit of god to come and serve and to fellowship with god creating order to the chaos in this world and so this is a a, a call to action i like how uh, pastor Amanda was saying you know this is part of the advent text Advent's that same word uh, uh, with etymology that we get adventure. And so this is a call to the adventure to work with God in creating order in all of the chaos that's around us. I think it's a powerful text, and it's a revival text for sure. Mm. Absolutely. And just kind of wrapping up our whole conversation here, we do see a lot of things in our world that are sadly devolving rather than evolving mm. we we don't see a lot of aspirations and things looking up i saw a and i talked about this on the little nazarene stream preacher where i stream games and preach a little bit i saw a frederick douglas meme fact checked for one of the most absurd reasons ever and I did a little program on this. I said the reason why they have fact-checked Frederick Douglass isn't because the word children was missing from the original quote. The reason why it's fact-checked is because Frederick Douglass's life had upward aspirations. And the spirit of this age, you find that in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, where it talks about the, the God of this age is creating unbelief, blinding the minds of unbelievers to negate the radiating illumination of the gospel of the glory of Christ Jesus, who is the very image of God. That is real, folks. It doesn't want you to be looking up. I just got done preaching Acts chapter 3 here on Wednesday night, where there's the man who's expecting alms from Peter and John as they go into the temple at the hour of prayer. The world wants you to live a life where the best you hope for is alms. Mm. They don't want you to be looking for that revival and transformation. So when you do have that revival and transformation, going back to what Amanda said, evil starts to crumble when you experience that. Yeah. When you start to experience that, the powers of Rome, which had an enormously well-structured military, they had put together a military machine which was unmatched by human history. But even that would fall before the presence of the Christian church because the God of all creation sent his son, and God the Son there at the heart of the Christian church was far more powerful than any scheme that Rome might put together. So any final thoughts as we draw to an end here? I know we've talked about a lot, and we can share a final thought that's completely unrelated to this, too. If somebody has seen something this week that they just want to share while we're here live on the air, that's acceptable, too. Um, you know, not anything to do with anything, but um, I've not been feeling well this past week with sinus stuff, so I've been kind of watching a little more TV than I normally do. Um, and I've just been flipping through several shows trying to find something good to watch. And I noticed there was a, a weird, odd theme about good intentions. And again, I think good intentions, we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But I think as we're also looking into this idea of truth and working with the truth, um, 
you know, good intentions aren't an excuse not to think well. And so I think as we move forward in this new year and uh, the world as it is ever changing, let us continue to evaluate and reevaluate what we, we do and not to just simply say, well, I tried to do what was right, so it's okay. Yep. Um, and, and I think, again, like there's a huge spectrum of that and it can be in small things, it can be in big things. So, um, but let, let's just uh, be people who discern and Sure. Continue Absolutely. to discern. And, and if we do make mistakes, then own up to them. Say we tried our best, but it didn't work out. It actually may have turned out terribly. So let's learn from it and do better. All right. Pastor Mike? Uh, you know, I think as you were uh, alluding to uh, uh, the Acts 3 passage where they're at the gate, beautiful. And here's this man, you know, that, that you know, he, he's lame, he can't walk, he's begging. Uh, certainly not much beauty there. But Peter, you know, he says, um, silver and gold I don't have, but look at me in the name of Jesus, you know, to stand up and walk. And that look at me is really look into me. Look inside and see the Spirit of God. I have something much more valuable than silver or gold. It's much more valuable than what you want to call beautiful gate here. Get up and walk. And he comes up and starts walking. This is not just about first century, but this is where we're called to be today. Mm -hmm. In a world where there's lots of ugliness and evil around us, get up and walk. Let us be um, you know, reflecting that image of God in this world. Look into each and every one of us. Two things for my final thought, my final thoughts. One, John Milton writes a great statement about free will. He said, God made man sufficient to stand but free to fall. Just think about that. Free will, you're sufficient to stand but also free to fall. And since they fell, all of us are corrupted. All right, so (laughs) a second point. I don't know if Amanda remembers this, and I'm sure Pastor Mike doesn't because he probably was well too mature for this but in the 90s and early 2000s doritos had something called doritos 3d yes they're back are they any i can't remember if they were good or not i know they're back and people send me pictures of them you can buy them at sam's and other places and at walmart today i was told they had them but they could not find them i have not been able to get my hands on them so i can't attest to if they were good i remember them being good as a kid but i was a kid but they are back Mm, we'll have to uh uh taste test those sometimes yes doritos 3d all right right. well thank you all for joining us here at kingdom of the logos we hope this has brought you something of value and look for revival look for it there in your life and on that note god love you and have a blessed day